0: Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a Certified Rehabilitation Counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider,
1: a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children,
0: one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities.
1: Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This. Is Two Moms, No Fluff. Hello and welcome to Two Moms, No Fluff. I'm Alma and I'm here with my friend Iris. And if this is your first time, we are so happy that you're here. We share our experiences and swap stories about what life is like raising children with disabilities. Hello, hello, Iris.
0: Hello, Alma. Uh, today we are going to actually record something that would be at least for Alma and I quite hard, but mm-hmm. we're doing it in favor of new parents of uh, kids with disabilities, so uh, maybe to make their experience a little bit less lonely. And we are going to dive in into one of the hardest topics to talk about, and this is how does it feel like to get a new diagnosis for your child. And um, I, I hope that uh, people understand. Again, we are trying to record one shot, no editing. So you guys really see our reaction and emotions and uh, where we pause to take a breath because this is not an easy uh, thing to share, but um, hopefully someone can uh, gain something from our experiences. And uh, I don't know, Ama, we didn't uh, discuss this, but do you want to start? Do you want me to begin? Where do we begin? Oh,
1: Oof, it's up to you. I'm happy to start. Happy to have you start. Who's who's braced themselves more to to, to, to <laughs> tackle this? this yeah, discussion? so ain't I don't know easy. <laughs> yeah,
0: so I, I can actually start with the with sharing the, our experience we had kind of a a grace period that not uh, too many families get between the time that our daughter was born until we actually like learned that something is not quite right. Let's put it this way. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that uh, my kind of journey with the realization uh, was maybe like some, some parents do have, have that route that you kind of notice on your own that something is not, what it is supposed to be. And I had a lot of experience working actually as a um, teacher in in kindergartens and uh, childcare centers. And I I, uh, also had experience working with people with disabilities before I had my daughter. And I would look at her movement and I would constantly tell myself like, But I remember the other babies rolling at three months. Uh, I probably don't remember right. And I remember them starting to crawl at like five to six months. And uh, I I would read the milestones and I'm like, uh, I I would tell myself, I'm just stressing myself out because I'm a new mom. And uh, I would look at uh, my daughter's movement and I would think to myself, wow she really does move like someone with cerebral palsy and then I would tell myself what kind of a mother looks at her own baby like that and thinks such horrible things over her own child but uh with uh how do you say it? never underestimate the power of denial and mm-hmm. uh, I continued on like that uh, for a long time until it was kind of like the nagging question in my head could not let me rest anymore and then uh, we went back to the pediatrician and said, listen, this, this can't be right. And then the pediatrician was like, oh, this is not right. <laughs> and finally kind of grasping the reality of the situation with our child. And then of course we were directed into so many different, uh, I guess, appointments for neurologists neurologist and a child developmental, uh, I guess, experts. And basically, uh, in that uh, process of the in-between that appointment and uh, uh, all the other appointments that followed, I started doing the horrible online search that oh. many parents are very familiar First with. First mistake. First yeah. mistake. <laughs> and I'm, gu- I'm guilty as well. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Alma, uh, I don't know kind of uh, how it is for other people, but I was um, at uh, our university housing, uh, Evening time on my own, kind of doing the research online. My daughter was on the floor on a little kind of receiving blanket, uh, playing, uh, you know, on her own and uh, all content. And then I start reading, like, all that's, you know, the dots connecting all the dots and all the dots kind of connect to your baby would never be able to, like, uh, walk or use their hands or sit independently or control their movement, never be able to talk and would probably have mental retardation. And I'm just like, as the sentences accumulate, I could like feel myself, like the blood was draining out of my body. Mm -hmm. And with all of my, you know, I already had my master's in rehabilitation counseling and I was so kind of professionally prepared for this moment but everything collapsed and I left the computer And went to the other room, to the window, with the full intention of throwing myself out the window. And I was like, uh, and as I'm standing there, all panicky and just wanting to die, I realized two things. A, that jumping from a second floor window would not help. (laughs) The worst case scenario, I'll just injure myself and it would be just idiotic. And B that there would be no one in the whole world that would ever take care of my daughter as well as I could. And that I can't do anything to harm myself because if uh, I love my daughter, which I do, uh, her future is dependent on me. And I reversed myself and I called my brother and I told him, listen, I just read online and I understand that, uh, Karen would never be able to talk or walk or sit or read, and she's uh, probably never going to be like able to do anything, et cetera, et cetera. And my brother told me one of the smartest things that a person in this situation can tell another person, and, and that was, I really don't know what, I, what to tell you. And yeah, because you can't tell anything to anyone in this situation, it's just too much. And uh, we were kind of (laughs) not talking for a while. And then I disconnected the call with my brother and called a friend. not a very good friend, but another mom that I knew from, uh, I guess, La Leche League or something. And I said, please come. I just cannot be by myself. It's an emergency. Can you please come? And she just dropped everything, took her baby and came over. And she stayed with me in the house until my husband came back from um he was in a an mba class at that time but i the rest of it i'll tell you later i'll kind of like clear this, the the stage to you alma oh. but that's that's my self realization self diagnosis diagnostic i guess well, story
1: well thanks for your honesty and bravery in telling your story i know you know for me it's it's very you know it's painful to go back to that time period and you know, it brings it, it brings it back up. Um, It is, it is traumatic. And, um, you know, we always say this, but it's more traumatic, not because of our kids, but because of society, and how society um, feels about, about disability. And my main, I don't even know where to begin, but my story is is different in the sense that mine was immediate my diagnosis was immediate um, immediately after birth um my pregnancy was completely uh well i shouldn't say completely typical i had gained a tremendous amount of weight much more than my other two kids and i was told that i had extra amniotic fluid but it's not a big deal that's normal that's why i was so big and um the baby was two weeks late and that was odd as well because the other two were not were not two weeks late I ended up so I started you know I already had this feeling of like this is different from other my other pregnancies and um they the doctors I had a midwife, midwives at the time and they decided to induce and it became it went from in, inducing the baby to an emergency c-section because the baby was sitting on a nerve and everything was very quick but they did the c-section and he came out not crying was only six pounds seven ounces and looked kind of gray to me and i i immediately knew something was was off and the doctors were like oh no everything's okay the apgar test is showing everything's fine but i I, the first thing in my mouth was something's wrong you know something's wrong because he was so small and not crying and I just knew instinctively something was wrong The next thing I knew he was in the NICU and because they said he couldn't suck and they didn't know what was going on but they had whisked him away and I was left there like what's you know what's going on he he didn't suck so they kept him in the NICU and um, what happened for about a week they were doing all sorts of tests he was in the NICU and there had been a baby born six months prior in the hospital in New York, who presented with similar features and similar, you know, low muscle tone and, and just some other features that made them test for Prader-Willi syndrome. So within a week, they had the diagnosis of Prader-Willi syndrome. Um, I found out I was in the hospital at that time and my sister, one of my sisters was with me um, in the hospital and my husband was at work, I believe. And we, the doctor, the, the NICU doctor called me in and was pretty arrogant and was like, I figured it out. And I said, oh my God, he said, is your husband here? I said, no, but my sister was there with me. So he didn't, you know, the first, first problem was that he didn't ask me to like get my husband on the phone or anything like that. So he sat me down with my sister and he said, I I thought it was this and it is, and it is this. I was right. He has what's called Prader-Willi syndrome. And he starts describing it in a way that was as it was as though he were reading a paragraph out of a uh, medical textbook. He's like, he will want to eat all the time, anything that's not nailed down, he will, He know, first he did say he will, he will be able to walk, and he will be able to talk. But he will want to eat anything that is not nailed down. <laughs> and he will he have to be watched all the time and he will be very good at puzzles. <laughs> so <laughs> I sat there and I looked at my sister and we just both started laughing because that's what we Schneiders do when we're uncomfortable. And we started laughing like, you gotta be kidding me. And we had a lot of food and weight issues growing up in my house. Um, so of all, um, of all disabilities and all syndromes to have a syndrome where somebody had zero control over, over eating was so perverse to me. And um, just, I, you know, I started, we started laughing. We're like, you've got to be kidding that this is what he's got. And I just remember going into the bathroom, leaving him and going into the bathroom and I'm going to get a little graphic here. I hope it's all right. But I had been light. on a bunch You're of meds. You're with friends. I know, we're, we're here with friends. But we had, um, you know, I'd been on narcotics because I had had a C-section. So I was very stopped up. And we went to the bathroom, and I just exploded. <laughs> My I had a gastrointestinal explosion. Um, because my body, it was like my body just collapsed. And I remember, and my sister will remember this, I was moaning in the bathroom. It was like a primal, I'm gonna start crying just thinking about it, I had a primal. I just remember being on the toilet going like, oh oh, like I literally, it was like an animal, like a wounded animal and making these noises and like in total gastrointestinal distress. And, um, you know, my poor sister had to like be there with me, but you know, I'm so so glad she was there. Um, but I, the beauty of this situation was that I was able to, provide my husband, who was at home and knew nothing about this diagnosis yet, I was able to give him the diagnosis in a way that was much kinder, I thought, and um, couched in a lot more positivity than the doctor had had given me. So I just remember going home and we lived, you know, in New Jersey, we came from from the hospital in the city, and we ate, we were eating dinner, and my sister was like, you have to tell him, or no, she said, don't tell him until after dinner, let him enjoy a nice dinner, and I was sitting there with this burden of information, on you know in me and waiting you know I don't know if that was the right thing to do to wait or not but I gave him one last peaceful dinner before he had to think about this I remember I brought him into the basement and I said I have to tell you something you know everything's going to be okay you know we're going to be fine um but we have a diagnosis and this is what it is and I just remember we both started you know crying right there and what I forgot to say is that the doctor did say to me, "Go on, go home, and go online and read about it," which was the worst advice in the world, because especially back then, seventeen years ago, the information online was so negative. Uh, there was there there wasn't. Um, it was just the worst. Ever, the worst features of the syndrome were written out and exaggerated, and the photos were just so awful. They were for people who had not been treated or who were diagnosed very late and were, you know, morbidly obese. It was it was horrible. We went online, and I just remember us sobbing as we're reading this stuff online. And I just cannot emphasize enough how important it is to 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 not go online. I know it's almost impossible and we're kind of drawn to the information, but it left such a lasting impression of how horrible this was gonna be. And it's never as horrible as it's gonna be portrayed online. It's just not. You need to talk to someone who is experiencing this and going online just is such a cold, um, unfeeling way to learn about your child. So in contrast to you, Virus. um well you mentioned you you went to the window i felt like a i remember explaining it to a friend who i spoke with that i felt like my i felt like a somebody had dropped a ton of bricks on me and i was just like there under a bunch of bricks and That's physically, I had this physical reaction and this depression like this, because I was like, what I had guilt, like horrible guilt, like, what did I do to my family? You know, how could I have been so greedy to have another child? Um, Look what I've done. Um, Just all these horrible feelings and this physical reaction of, you know, I'm, I'm, there are a bunch of bricks on me and I can't get up. Um, And the panic and the fear of what our lives were going to become because online it really made it seem like our lives were over. And again, in in contrast to your experience, I had zero relationship with my son at this point. He was one week old and um, I I didn't know him. I had zero connection to him because he was in the NICU and they were feeding him through the nose if there were nose, you know, tube at that point, you know, 2 weeks later he was going to get um, surgery to get a, a tube in his stomach. There was very little time to do kangaroo care like you have you did um, uh, where you have the baby have, you know, skin to skin. There was very little time for that and to be honest, I wasn't even you know interested in that. I was because I was so focused on getting him fed and um, I didn't know this baby and I didn't have a connection to him yet, and I just, I, I want to, you know, uh, for all the people out there who feel so or felt so guilty about those kinds of feelings, you are not alone. It, um, that is so fear-based. I was just so afraid of this, of what this baby represented, having had no connection at all at that point. There's so much guilt there and um, guilt and fear and pain. And it's so important that we know that this is normal. Like, this is a normal reaction of fear. And, you know, some people immediately feel the bond and feel the connection, but a lot of people don't because we're so caught up in the trauma and the pain and the shock that. Um, all we see is, you know, we're afraid, we're afraid. And um, that's how I felt. And um, it was it was very, very difficult. And I'll stop there to, to, to give you the stage back, but that was my very beginning um, of the day di- of being told.
0: Um, and I'll add a little bit more after yeah. you. I, uh, I also, I noticed how the, the effect, you know, of me telling the story and you telling the story is so different Mm -hmm. and in so many ways a I felt probably trauma therapy worked because I can look back at the story and look back at myself and I, I am compassionate to the person that I was once you know back then in that situation and I remember the feeling being so strong and heavy and hard to deal with but today it it, it, did, it does in a way almost, it, it looks almost like funny to me that, that I reacted that way, that I don't know or didn't know back then what I know today. Would I go back and change everything that happened after that? Some of it, yes, because it was like, our life is so hard. Like there, there isn't a way to kind of beautify it. It's We yeah. have a really complex, hard life, mm-hmm. but there's also so many good things that happen because of care and through care and yes. through that very special experience that I wish I could like go back today to that person and, and, mm-hmm. and, and just calm her down and tell her that this, this is not what, what you feel. It's, it's, not, it's not what you're used to but Mm -hmm. it's it's a worthy journey nevertheless and uh, um, it may be very different than all the hopes and dreams that uh, we're fed maybe through uh, societal expectations Mm -hmm. but love is love is love and if you uh, you have a loving relationship with your uh, child or with anyone else you really don't maybe expect anything in return uh, that is uh, by a certain book or another and uh, I um I, it's I a think that life
1: it's simply a it's a different life and yeah. I I know uh, I hope that everyone has read Welcome to Holland I know a lot of people do not like the essay Welcome to Holland I don't like it uh, you don't like it I love it it really helped me tremendously when somebody sent it to me um, another mom of a child with Prader-Willi syndrome sent it to me, and I remember it was very helpful. It's basically, you know, if you're listening to this and you don't know what Welcome to Holland is, it's an essay written by, I, I forget her name, but it's about, it's, it's an essay about about having a child that, that you didn't expect, but that there are beautiful things about that child, Um, that you'll come to appreciate and it is true that sentiment for me at least is is extremely true it took a while to get there um, to sift through all the all the the what what all the loss and grief and we have to own that there is loss there's a feeling of loss and there is a feeling of grief but um, once we truly get to know our children there are so many beautiful things about our kids and though the the pain and the the grief it subsides and it will always be there on a certain level when we do see other children and other, other you know a life not lived by us but we have a different kind of life and it's simply a different kind of life that has such magnificent beauty and lessons in it. And the people, you know, we talk about this in our silver linings episode that I hope, you know, that you'll all listen to, but there are so many incredible things that come out of having a child with, you know, any child, any child, not just a child with a disability, any child, there are positive things and there are negative things. And um that's, that's so important to remember. And you can't, necessarily feel it when you get the diagnosis because it's a shock and it's again it's society I remember early on saying if everybody had a child with Prader-Willi syndrome I wouldn't be so upset but because we're othered that's where the fear comes in and the pain and the isolation for me it was the fear of isolation that we were going to be shunned by everyone, that we weren't, people were not going to want to hang out with us, we were going to lose our friends, Um, we were going to not be a part of the community anymore, um, because these behaviors that were, you know, that were described online were so um, exaggerated and made to seem totally unmanageable, like a life that would be unmanageable. And it's not the case. And I wish, you know, if I went back to that to that person from back then, I wish, you know, that people. And I did have some people who did describe, and I'm so grateful to the people, some of the people in the um, Prader-Willi syndrome community, um, who said like, "We just do it differently. We just do it differently." And I'm really grateful to those people because having that connection with people who are going through it. It's so important. And great advice that somebody once gave me is don't talk to people who are way ahead of you. Just talk to people who are a little bit ahead of you who can give you practical information to help you, but that you won't get freaked out by some stuff that happens way down the road because you don't know if that's gonna be your child or not. And you don't need to get scared or overwhelmed with that. And that was great advice because I did steer clear of much older, of much older um, people
0: who had it. Yeah, I, um, I think that uh, one thing that, uh, again, we had like uh, the opportunity to be home alone, digesting the, the news and not have mm-hmm. the interruption, if I may call it this way, mm-hmm. of professionals that do, as you mentioned, sometimes come with their egos, their mm-hmm. agenda, their kind of uh, maybe <laughs> preconceived notions about things and, uh, and that was like, there, there were many, many blessings in our lives, but this is something that I also count as a blessing. The fact that uh, uh, we, we were able to maybe uh, later on as a couple, digest the news kind of on our own. Mm-hmm. And then it made all the blows that came afterwards a little bit more bearable because we were mm-hmm. somewhat emotionally prepared until I think after one appointment, my husband told me something. It's like, I don't care anymore. They yeah. can't, what else can they tell us that's right. not working? Everything is not working by now. Mm-hmm. They can't give us more bad news. I'm immune to this by now because mm-hmm. I heard everything. So he's like, uh, we're just, we're going to like deal with this. Um, and uh, and uh, we, we shouldn't like, uh, you know, get worked up before another appointment or before another conversation with one more professional um, it's, um, the, the new diagnosis is, is very hard on a personal level. And as the complexity of the diagnosis is the complexity or the length of time that it takes an individual to digest and actually understand yeah. what it means. It, it, it's a process that takes months and sometimes years just to understand, you know, what's going on here mm-hmm. and in, in addition to that especially I, I really I don't know how how it is uh, for single parents because I, I wasn't in that position myself and uh, what I did learn in this experience is that everything that I learned as a professional doesn't quite hold water when it comes no. to reality and no. I, I so I would say with all honesty I don't know how the process is for someone who's a single parent but uh, In the kind of couples dynamic, there's also that back and forth. This is two different people with two different backgrounds, two different expectations from Mm -hmm. the baby or from life. And you now need to navigate also the gaps between um, the, I guess, imaginary future child and yeah. the reality of that dream being shredded into pieces, kind of smashed mm-hmm. on the floor in front of you, and how do you pick up those pieces and what do you make of it? And th- that that is such like a, a really delicate situation to be with. And uh, I think that for for families and friends and um, the the community people that surround that that uh, I guess couple or that young family in that process there is really something that is very important that was as I mentioned in another episode really lacking in our family Uh, like it's that the support like keeping the couple together because that is all that is left at that moment these two adults and nobody else understands Because nobody else can really understand what it means and how it feels and what uh, it would imply for the future, to really help protect and defend that nest so it stays intact. Because the best uh, prospect for that baby's future is if the parents uh, can really work together to continue to love the baby and to continue to. Uh, provide the best uh, support for his or her future
1: yeah and even if it's a single person who is embarking on this this journey um family members can play that role they really can it's not the same as a as a romantic partner but family members and friends the community can really be a part of that support system um and again it might not be as intimate or personal because the baby didn't come from you know the two of you but a lot of people adopt and have um you know or or do this by themselves with a sperm donor you know anybody who who um is in this position please get support from your whether it's your family your friends or a therapist it's vitally important um i threw myself into therapy immediately when this happened and it was it was hugely beneficial for me to sort out a lot of these issues um that i had you know we've talked about narcissistic injury like what did i you know this is a reflection of me um you know in our case uh, the syndrome is a fluke at conception but it's still the fact that it um is your child can bring up all sorts of issues the fact that you Um, did this on your own, can bring up all sorts of issues. I mean, there's, this is so laden. There are so many levels of complex feelings and conflicting feelings when this, when this happens. And it's so important to speak to someone, a professional, um, if you're struggling, you know, some people don't struggle, you know, some people just jump right in. And I've spoken to people that I can't, you know, I can't even believe how, you know, seamlessly they adjust to this life and seem very well adjusted but for most of us we need some professional help and we might need some medication and there ain't nothing wrong with that um, I wish that I had you know been on drugs back then I think it would have helped me quite a bit um, to take medication for this for, uh, this time period a lot of people do and they're new and no judgment there because this is this is an extraordinarily um, challenging situation and again, it's made to be that way because of society, not because of our children. Because of society, and um, it's it's really important that we own that and that we can be a we can be parents and we can take care of our kids and we can love our kids and we are going to see. Um, the positives in this situation soon enough. Once our baby starts smiling, once people you know start in our environment are positive about it, it's it, it's so helpful um, to have just even the little littlest bits of support. And I just I want to I'm remembering my friend um, Maggie when I told her the diagnosis. She I was on the <laughs> I was on the phone with her. And I'm there and I am so, you know, down and depressed. I get this diagnosis and she's, this is so great about her. She yells, oh my God, that's fantastic. That that's what it is. He's gonna, he's gonna walk and talk. I thought he was gonna be, you know, I don't know what. And, and I just remember that reaction and it really lifted me up because it took me out of my you know, my wallowing in this, she was, so she saw the positives, like, oh my God, he's gonna walk and talk. Um, And she forgot about all the other stuff that, you know, the, the challenges that we were gonna be facing to her, like, she just brought up something positive and she she was right you know and with you your child has is extremely bright and you know there there are positives in this situation and it's really nice and i hope everyone has a friend who or or, you know who can who can lift you out of that and and be able to to look at it objectively and um you know parse out the, the 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 good so um, really, it's so important to surround ourselves with positive people, not people who are minimizing it. Because there's a, we, we need to make a distinction there. When people deny, um, you know, that there's anything that's problematic or going to be challenging, and just makes everything, you know, roses and rainbows, that is not helpful either. Because that's not acknowledging where we are. Um, so that's it's you know you wanna as we mentioned in another you know episode like. Have somebody say, This freaking sucks. This freaking sucks right now. You are in a terrible state, but it's gonna change. It's gonna change. So you never wanna push, you know, you need to be happy. You need to be happy. You have a baby, you know. That's not helpful. Um, what is helpful is to acknowledge this is not what you expected. This is, you know, it's going to be a different path, but it's going to be okay, because this, you're going to create a community, you know, you're going to have community, other people, we're going to connect you with other people. And, uh, you know, a lot of people did that for me. My friend, Abby, who's a social worker, she immediately connected me with the national organizations to get information. It's, it's, um, it's so important to, to, to hold a space so that we can grieve. But then to, to help us see the positives by you know whatever it is that we need and ask us you know what would be helpful for you right now, um, what can I do, um, and maybe there's nothing but just being a good friend, um, and a good you know family member to to help with whatever you can, is is sometimes just what the doctor orders.
0: Yeah, I uh, I, I have to say like uh, I think both of us probably because of our professional background we immediately seek professional help and uh, that's not always the situation for a lot of uh, couples a lot of families they're quite kind of uh, also so busy with the like doing and being for the the child mm-hmm. that they don't have the time or space to really focus on what goes on internally but um i, I really do think that um you know, it helped us a lot, like um, as individuals and as couple. I, and I mean, about my husband and myself. I hope it really helped you, Alma, as well. But it, it was really hard, like the the beginning the, period of time. And uh, and again, I I kind of I remember that that night in which I I um, I understood basically. I kind of connected. Diff- Different words and different uh, things that I, I saw, and I, I remember it like very clearly. Uh, really, to the action of how I'm I'm stepping up and how I'm approaching the window and and all that. Mm-hmm. But but uh, but I I really don't have the 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 hard pain that is attached to it anymore. Mm-hmm. But I because at the end of at the end of the day, so so many things happen. Uh, since then, but I do remember also very, very clearly how the following months were kind of like shadowed by this like gray cloud that followed me everywhere. And I was, as I said in another episode, like angry that the sun was shining, angry Mm -hmm. that other people were driving and playing in the playground with their kids. This is the end of the world and people don't see it. And it was Uh, really annoying. I felt the uh, same way too. I was like, uh, how can people read a People magazine? Yeah. It's so frivolous. I just remember like,
1: wow, who cares about celebrities and their lives? How can people read these magazines
0: when I'm going through this? <laughs> I know uh, it's just uh, it, it's it's a it's a hard hard thing. You think that you you've been like kind of cast out from from society. That uh, yeah. neither your child or your family would have room in the normalcy that once was your life. And the yeah. thing that was hardest for me was that every time I would look at Karen and my daughter, I would like she is so innocent. She's so kind of perfect. She hasn't done anything to mm-hmm. anyone ever mm-hmm. like why would she be selected to live a life of misery like that why mm-hmm. would she have to carry a burden like she has done nothing wrong to anyone and mm-hmm. i was just like this is so unfair and i just like the unfairness mm-hmm. of it was the thing that occupied me the most like why yeah. she why why she is it's, it's yeah. not uh, not logical but that was my uh, my thing and uh Mine too. Mine was,
1: why us? You know, why us? Because I didn't have a connection to that, to the baby yet. And I was just like, why us? Like, it's not fair. And I would say that all the time. And my husband would say, it's not about fairness. It's just, it just happens. And there was like this, you know, we just felt, saw it so different. Like, he was like, this, it's nobody chose for this. I was like, but it was this feeling of like, it's not just, it's not fair why us why did this have to happen to our family and just yes so many um so many feelings and so upset seeing a pregnant woman oh my god every time i saw a pregnant woman it was just awful
0: i just wanted to Uh, for me it was it was (laughs) seeing babies seeing other babies hold the toy put something in their mouth crawling walking talking All of those things that happen, you know what, in my uh, home birth uh, kind of group, uh, Mm -hmm. we had like a group for that and then in the La Leche league meetings and all of those other babies they were slapping me in the face left and right with their normalcy and what was even more infuriating is the moms that would sit and have their coffee not noticing the magic that is happening in front of their eyes like i so wanted them to be grateful to be crying with joy that their kid has started walking there oh yeah he started walking yesterday That was so funny i'm just like it's not funny, it's the biggest miracle on earth, like yeah. why are you too like more appreciative of what's happening here yeah and uh, and that's also of course, when I had my second child, I looked at life from a different angle altogether, yeah. and I was like grateful from day one that he was able to bring his hand to his face i'm just like oh my gosh and everything was such like a celebration but it's perspective it's it's so interesting yeah it's perspective i remember
1: you know we'll talk about it you know more in another episode but i just remember holding my fourth kid and i would just look at brian and say like this is the easiest thing in the world like can you believe like i'd just be holding her and she'd be nursing because he couldn't nurse. Um, like, can you believe people complain about babies? Like, this yeah. is the easiest thing in the world because the amount of paraphernalia and just to leave the house, what we needed to leave the house to just keep him alive was <laughs> so involved. And yeah, it's it really changed, you know, and there's something really beautiful about that, that we, you know, you don't, you, you really appreciate you appreciate more. And um, there's something very positive about that. And appreciate more with your own child. You know, I remember somebody telling me, uh, another mom who who had a child with Prairie willi Syndrome, saying you really appreciate them when they're something you would take for granted with a typical child once your child learns how to tie their shoe. or And I remember thinking like, oh, that's so depressing when she told me that. But then years later, I got it. And I was like, And there was a great joy in seeing that my son could do these certain things and you appreciate these things so much more you don't take them for granted and there's something really amazing about that and it makes you live your life in a very different way and appreciate things in a very different way and as we've said before and we'll continue saying in this podcast it makes for a much richer life because we are we are aware we have so much more mindfulness and awareness of the little things and that's pretty that's pretty
0: incredible yeah the the climb that we have to climb is much higher but when we get there the view is much nicer oh <laughs> and beautifully said beautifully um, said i, I should be should... a poet
1: <laughs> i think you are a poet i think you are a poet and i think we should leave it on that note um is there anything else that you'd like to add iris
0: uh not today it's a heavy topic i'm glad oh, to no, this be is done. Heavy.
1: <laughs> please as always please comment and let us know if you want to share your story with us uh in the comments or if you have a suggestion for a future episode related to this or something else but until then thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week bye, bye.
0: thank Bye-bye. you For more information, please go to www.2momsnofluff.com. Thank you.
1: If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.